0: You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today on the phone is Victoria Aveyard the number one New York Times bestselling author of Red Queen, and Glass Sword, also a number one New York Times bestseller, both published by Harper Teen. Victoria is a graduate of the University of Southern California with an MFA in screenwriting, and she sold several television pilots and feature-length screenplays. She splits her time between Los Angeles and Longmeadow, Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us, Victoria. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Are you in Longmeadow now? No, I'm actually from East Longmeadow,
1: okay. so there's a big rivalry between those two towns, to be fair. But no, I'm in uh, Los Angeles right now. All right.
0: Where Where is East Longmeadow, Massachusetts? What's your closest? Closest to Springfield, which still isn't quite a marker for
1: most people. Um, We're about a half hour, 40 minutes north of Hartford and
0: about a half hour south of Amherst. It's a small town. And do you spend roughly half and half Los Angeles and Massachusetts? Yeah, I go back and forth quite a bit. And right now, just
1: because I'm traveling for a tour, I'm out of Los Angeles since I'm heading to the Philippines next week.
0: Wow. Have you been to the Philippines yet? No, I've never been to Asia. I'm really excited. Are you aware of what MAD book fans, Philippine (laughs) readers are? Have you seen pictures of of Philippine signings?
1: I've had um, friends who are authors who have gone have told me it's quite an experience. And just in terms of how many readers I get on social media on Twitter and Tumblr asking, come to the Philippines, and then saying they're so excited that I'm coming, uh, I'm
0: expecting it to be really, really cool and just kind of really overwhelming. I can't wait to see pictures because I'm sure you're going to draw Absolutely huge crowds. Mm -hmm. All right. So now let's get into the the official interview, because the first thing that I want to ask you about is world building, which I've read that you describe as sort of very delightful quicksand. But first, I want to describe the world that you've already created in in Red Queen and Glass Sword. So I'm going to try to do it. And you can add or correct in in any way you see fit. But I'm going to say that the world that you've created is a world where one's lot in life is determined by the color of one's blood. And for your protagonist, 17-year-old Mayor Barrow, she lives in a world where she was born a Red and therefore has to make a living by pickpocketing and, and trying to dodge being sent off to fight in an ongoing war. And then circumstances cause Mare to find herself at the royal palace as a servant where she discovers in front of everyone that she's a red and silver and that she has the power to control lightning and that this turns her into a weapon that the royal court tries to control. So that's pretty much Red Queen. And then Glass Sword follows her on her mission to sort of defeat evil and picks up after her escape from the royal court and also deals with... Sort of the rather startling discovery that she is not the only one of her kind and that she sets out to find other red silver fighters. And beyond that, it's it's rather complicated. And I don't I don't want to give too much away. (laughs) Yeah, it's an incredibly detailed and compelling world that you've built. Tell us a little bit about your process in imagining and and executing the world of these two books.
1: Yeah. Well, the very first inkling I kind of had of Red Queen was the image of Mare when she's in an arena about to be executed. And instead of being killed, she kills her executioner with lightning. And because I wanted to know more about that girl, the next step was to build a world where she was real. So I started brainstorming. Um, Obviously, superhuman abilities would have to be involved. And from that, I kept building out and out. And I decided I was going to do... um, a post-post-apocalyptic North America where society has fallen and something else has reformed in its place. And it's not too glaring, so you have to look for clues to kind of figure out, oh yeah, this is our world thousands and thousands of years in the future, but it doesn't matter that much. What matters is that some humans have evolved to have superpowers and silver blood, and now they're sort of running the show. And regular people are basically glorified slaves. They're uh, servants and they're soldiers. They're meant to serve, basically. So I got to play with the dynamic there between what's it like when a very small elite rules everybody else by nature of their birth and nothing else,
0: which um, had a few parallels to what's going on today. Yeah, and I've read that that one of the things that you do is you'll you'll draw maps and you'll mm-hmm. do you know family lineage lines and you, you, you'll really sort of start at a thousand feet and then come in as you work on on your first draft. Is that correct? yeah it's actually funny because I've tried to start
1: novels before long before Red Queen. I'd never finished anything, and now that i'm I've got other projects in my brain and I'm chipping away at world building on them, I'm realizing that the project that I've done the least amount of world building on or at least before I started writing was Red Queen. so. Obviously, I have to sort of rein myself in to get anything done. With Red Queen, I I was able to stop myself and be like, no, no, you actually have to write the story. A lot of it had my basis and I had my bones of the world, but I I really sort of set forward and uh, started writing and discovered a lot of pieces as I was working on it. But the the main parameters are there.
0: And was it true, as I understand it, you wrote um, Red Queen in seven months and you didn't know the ending until you started Glass Sword? Yeah, um, well, when I started writing Red Queen, I knew that
1: immediate story. I always break my stories down into three acts, and I knew the first act and the third act really, really well for Red Queen, and usually when I start writing, I usually know the first and third act very well for whatever project I'm on. I knew it was going to be a series. I didn't know where particularly I wanted the series to end until I I was in the middle of writing the second book. And that's when I realized, okay, I know exactly what scene I want to end on. I know what the last line is. I know where I want everybody to end up. And now that um, I'm writing the third one and I was originally signed for three books in the series, I realize as much as I'm outlining, oh my God, I'm not going to get to that point in this book. Either it's going to be really, really stretched or really, really rushed to get to where I need to be. So I thought, I'm not going to do that to the story. That's not what it requires. So we went back to Harper Collins and said, it looks like
0: I'm going to need one more book to get this done. So we've expanded oh, to four books. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, you've also said that your primary goal in writing is to entertain and that your themes and your moral message would come later because you, you don't want to be writing a sermon. Mm-hmm. But I've also read that you've said that the message of Red Queen is power corrupts. So I want you to tell us a little bit more about that, and then I want to ask you what your message is for Glass Sword.
1: Yeah, my first goal is always to entertain. I, I always am from the standpoint that you could have the most important theme or message or moral on the face of the earth, but if what you're telling me is boring, people aren't going to pay attention, and you've already lost that battle. So even if you're, you know, trying to tell a story about something very serious and very important, you still need to keep us. Interested, not necessarily like, oh, have a, something funny or have an explosion, but you still you have to have something that keeps your audience watching. For me, a lot of Red Queen and the sort of the parallels in the societal uh, commentary, I think a lot came from the fact that I'm a child of post 9 11 America. I've grown up with almost a constant war going on in the background of my life. Mm. There's been a lot of societal upheaval going on, and people are paying a lot more attention these days to the news, to the political process. So that all just kind of bunged into me and then bled into the work. And then for the power corrupts angle, that's definitely still continuing in Glass Sword because um, Mm -hmm. as Mare is realizing her power and realizing how strong she is, she also gets kind of seduced by that idea and learning that, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm important. I'm more special than certain other people. And because of that, I am more valuable. And while she's right, that's not exactly good. So it was cool to examine how that how that changes her and kind of corrupts her. But it also makes us understand how any person can be corrupted when they find their inner strength and when they find what they're good at. I, I love writing morally gray characters. And I say that in my books, no one's purely evil and no one's purely good. So yeah. having that battle so um, immediate and close in Mare's point of view was, was a real treat for me.
0: Now, I've also read that you know, I mean, I guess this is obvious, but that you know certain facts about your characters that you didn't present in the book, one of which is that you said um, Maven does not have the ability to dream, which I yes. thought was fascinating. That's such an interesting detail. So can you give us mm-hmm. a few more facts that you have in your head that we huh. were not aware of? Um, just in terms of Maven, there's a lot of things
1: his character doesn't know about himself. Like I also said, he doesn't know what his own favorite color is. And a lot of it has to do with his mother and things that are coming out in the third book and how he was sort of crafted by her basically. Um, yeah. And then for other characters, I'm trying to think of stuff that I guess. My my thing with Mare is that she's always had this kind of inferiority complex that is now completely at odds with the fact that she's essentially a hero in the eyes of so many yeah. people, but she still, even next to her younger sister, feels like sort of the person being shunted to the side and doesn't really quite know how to deal with being someone that people look up to because she's not used to it and doesn't want to deal with it.
0: Yeah, that's very true to life. You, you sort of your. I've also read that you said that, you know, now that you've published best-selling novels and you've recently sold another screenplay, you you finally earned the respect of your family. I guess <laughs> it takes a lot to to impress your sisters and and your mom, and and I guess that's what she's feeling, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, my family's always been super supportive of me, so it's it's been fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Oh no, no. That's, I know, I know. It was said in jest, but I'm, but I'm, but you know what I mean, right? It's, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, like, I definitely drew on my relationship i have a younger brother and i definitely
1: drew on you know even when you're a little kid and it's like oh the new the new baby in the family obviously everybody's got that that feeling that you can that well that you can draw from
0: yeah now the two books have such distinctive Covers, and as I understand it, you you sort of imagine these covers as you were writing, and they're close to what you imagine because you talk about how when you hit roadblocks within within the writing process, you would design symbols or you would manipulate photos, and that um, one of your Red Queen images actually turned out to be rather close to the cover. Is that correct? Yeah, um, I was really lucky in that Harper, when we first got into the cover talk
1: situation, they asked exactly, uh, what do you want on a cover? What do you like on a cover? And um, I responded with, well, I I gravitate more towards simple things with like a symbol on them. So I sent them like Hunger Games, Divergent, Outlander, Game of Thrones, Legend. Those are the kind of book covers that I like. And I said, for ours, I would love if we could do an upside down crown, just something very simple But it is symbolic as well because there's royalty involved, but the world is sort of upside down in what we're Mm. used to. And uh, Harper came back and said, great, we're going to add blood to the crown, which is really cool because on the first cover, it's red blood. And on the second cover, it's red and silver. And it takes a little, you have to sort of look for it. And then once you see it, I've had a lot of readers
0: be like, oh my God, something's going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're beautiful covers. All right. Now, I want to talk a little bit about you because I think you have a very interesting life story. Huh. Did you grow up in Massachusetts? I did, yeah, born and raised. Um, I
1: went to kindergarten with the kids I graduated high school with. I'm from a small town where pretty much everybody knows each other. A lot of our parents went to school together, and that kind of thing.
0: And yet I've also read that you've said that your favorite character from Harry Potter is Hermione because she helped you become okay with yourself. So what's that about? Yeah, well, I was definitely like
1: a dorky know-it-all with really bad hair growing up. So I I really found a kindred spirit in Hermione Granger, who never apologized for knowing everything. And I definitely had the experience of teachers saying, hey, Victoria, let someone else answer the question. Uh. But yeah, and I love that in the end, she's the one who usually saves the day. So it kind of gave me sort of the okay to be my weirdo self. So in high school, and I guess all through middle school, elementary school, I always loved writing and telling stories. And it wasn't until high school that I kind of figured out, you know, oh, that that could be a major that you pursue in college and a career if you're really, really, really lucky. But I kind of didn't have any idea what level I was on. And then when I started applying to film school, I decided I wanted to pursue screenwriting because I love movies. And that's always been the first experience with storytelling that I ever had with movies. Um, And I'm a big Star Wars fan. So the one I really wanted to go to was George Lucas's alma mater, USC. And then, of course, when I applied, I found out, oh, my God, it's the best film school in the world. So I ended up um, only getting into my film school. So my parents kind of had to let me go to film school. And it came down to um, NYU and SC. And, of course, SC was my dream. So I ended up in Los Angeles studying screenwriting
0: for four years. Screenplays are such a specific way of writing. how did you? How did you know that? I guess but like you said, you you just loved movies and so you just made the leap. But did you have to send a sample of a of a screenplay or did they was it you could send sort of a sample of anything?
1: It was a series of both. I remember the the supplementary application for the film school was actually really intense. I now rem- I know it back to front because I ended up working in the office so I'd have okay. to process all the applications. Um But it's something like 30 pages of prose writing, whatever you wanted it to be. And then you have to do two, five page themes, sort of screenplay, kind of complete stories. Um, So I would Google, you know, screenplay format and read what other screenplays look like just to get an idea. But they weren't looking for someone who had perfect technique and understood the format because they're going to teach you all that. And then over the next four years, I had, you know, structure and the format of the medium and pacing and all the really nitty gritty up to the broad sweeping details of how to write a screenplay kind of hammered into me. And from that, I got a lot of my style and a lot of the way I tell stories.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. It's just so interesting. That I, I love kids that just sort of wake up and say, oh, okay, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to screenwriting <laughs> school because I just have this idea and, and, and nobody's going to tell me otherwise. I, th- I think that's fascinating. <laughs> and then as I understand it, you wrote Red Queen. It was shortly after graduation, correct? Right. Um, the first idea I had of it was while I was at my
1: campus job. And I was—I remember I was sitting at the computer just, you know, typing out class schedules. And I emailed this little thing to myself with a girl in the arena. And then from there, I had had the idea in my head of, oh, my God, I've finished several screenplays now. I've always wanted to write um, a novel. And this was the first one that came to mind. And I started building on it. I had landed um, a general meeting at a management company who was interested in my screenplay. And while I was there, um, I pitched a bunch of stuff. And then I also got in my head, oh, screw it, pitched the book idea, too. So I said, I want to write this young adult novel. And that was what they really latched on to and encouraged me to write. And so I ended up moving home to Massachusetts. And then over the next seven months, wrote the first draft of Red Queen. And um, then through this management company, they passed the manuscript along to my literary agency, what became my literary agency. And from there, it was a couple of months, actually 11 months after graduation, I sold to HarperCollins.
0: That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. And yet you still say that one of your proudest achievements is uh, traveling from London to Edinburgh without GPS.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. A friend of mine and I went to well uh, my mom is from Scotland so we go to the UK um, a fair bit but uh, a friend of mine came and she, we were going to do the whole tourist thing so I met her down in London and she rented a car and I was the navigator and she was the driver and our phones didn't work because we didn't have service over there so we yeah. just had a big paper map of the country and got lost a couple of times but it was really fun
0: I, then, I do um, find that very impressive <laughs> it was cool because I'm a map geek so I was like I feel like a pioneer yeah you do love maps that that, that would be fun that's that's yeah. nice. So and and right now you're going back and forth correct between writing a screenplay yeah. and and writing novels and and it's sort of like two different languages but you you've now gotten to the point where you find this beneficial to be to be working in the two different mediums?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um I've only sold one screenplay before but I definitely have the itch to get another one done but because red queen has obviously become um sort of a big thing I guess. And the story is kind of growing as I'm telling it. That's my my focus, but hopefully, in between books three and four, I have a little time to to get another screenplay out there.
0: Yeah. So tell us just briefly about your writing habits. You know what you do on a on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. Um, I as as amazing as this is, and as much of a dream come true writing for a living is. It, it is my job. And I find it very beneficial to treat it as a job and to work, you know, 10 to 5 every day. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm riding constantly from 10 to 5, but I'm in work mode then. This is my time that I should be working or at least thinking about working. Once 5 o'clock rolls around, unless I'm on deadline or I'm really rolling on something, I'm done. The evening is mine and it helps me from burning out. Uh, I don't work on weekends at all unless, again, I'm on deadline or really... Spinning on something, and I think that makes me really happy. For Mondays to roll around, because I'm excited to work. Yeah, so keep my momentum going by not writing or working too much. It's a good balance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what did you like to read growing up, and and what are you reading now? I, I'm always interested in whether authors read complementary things to what they're writing or diametrically opposed things. Some of them stop reading. But I'm also curious about what turned you on when you were younger.
1: Cool. Um, first one I can remember is Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson. Oh, such a great and book. And I loved, I love, love, love that book and still love that book. And then, of course, I am of the generation of Harry Potter. I was very, very lucky in that I was nine when I started reading the books and I was 17 when the last one oh, came out. And it's perfect. So I yeah, feel you like born... I went to Hogwarts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I went to Hogwarts, and as, even though I didn't get a letter, I was right there with them. It was really fantastic. The last movie came out when I was twenty-one, and all oh of us in college, we all went down to the theater and saw it together, and you know, said goodbye to the gang. But yeah, those were two that were really big for me. Also, Lord of the Rings in middle school. Oh my God, I'm such a Lord of the Rings
0: freak. I think you should write an essay about your Harry Potter, your whole thing. <laughs> that I'm seriously, that is such a beautiful. It was so lucky. Your yeah, timing I know. was so perfect.
1: I feel bad for kids now because they just get them all.
0: I yeah, mean, exactly. they didn't have to wait, which is nice, but it didn't make you appreciate it. <laughs> That's funny. So, now what do you like to read now? I read a lot of different stuff. I bounce between young adult
1: and, and adult fantasy and thriller, contemporary, historical fiction. I love, love, love historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I'm reading. 1776 by David McCulloch. Sure. And I'm also, I while I was on tour, I just got back from my book tour. I binge read this really, really creepy, terrifying, but pretty amazing book called You by Carolyn Kepnes. And she was kind enough to send me the second book, which comes out later this month. Oh, that's
0: but cool. It's, it's,
1: it's very interesting. It's told in second person. So they just say you the whole time. And it's Ooh. from the point of view of this guy who becomes obsessed with this girl and starts stalking her. And it's very unsettling, but so very, very well written.
0: All right. Here's my last my last question. It's somewhat corny, but I ask it anyway. <laughs> okay. Were you to be um, banished to a desert island and you could take three books, what would you take? Three books. Yep. One of those books can't turn into a boat.
1: <laughs> um, I would take... <laughs> Um, this is all right. I can. I would take The Lord of the Rings, the full, like all yep. the appendices, everything. <laughs> I would take the completed Song of Ice and Fire series. Right. I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. I love those books. And if I could take the last two with me, it would make it okay that I'm going to a desert island because I get to know what happens. Um, and then
0: the last
1: one, probably Harry Potter.
0: Yeah. Wonderful.
1: Yeah. Unless I could bring a TV and Star Wars.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I'm not I'm not giving you a TV. There's no, there's no electricity on the island, so that'll have to be Harry Potter. All right. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for the books. We can't wait to read further, and I'm so happy to hear that there's a number four involved, and that's terrific news. And uh, congratulations on all your success. You're very well deserved. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We've been listening to Victoria Aveyard talk about her books Red Queen and Glass Sword, available wherever books, e-books, and audiobooks are sold. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard, and if you have, drop us a note on Facebook and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Thanks very much. This episode was edited by Kat Theck with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents, and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from the leading figures across books, culture, and the arts. All brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.